Hello and welcome to Gamer to Gamer. I'm your host, James Ejikasso. This is a podcast where I interview pros in the gaming industry about their careers and the games they love to play. Today's guest is Stephen Hilt. Stephen has been crowned Iron GM twice, he is an RPG superstar, and a game designer with many credits for the Pathfinder RPG. His company, The Four Horsemen, is also out there producing a bunch of content right now. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. All right, here's the interview with Steven. Okay, everybody, I am here with Steve Helt. Uh, he is a game designer and an awesome dude. You always want him around at your game table. Uh, we met just uh, about a week ago when uh, in a podcast with Wolfgang Bauer, but I'm very familiar with Steve's work before I ever actually met him. Uh, and we're going to get into that in a second. But Steve, thank you very much for being on Gamer to Gamer today. Oh, thank you, James. It's uh, great to be here. So I wanted to start by asking you a little bit about your experience with uh, tabletop gaming. How did you get started playing tabletop RPGs? What was the first thing you played? Where were you? Were you the DM? Were you a player? And if so, what <laughs> character did you play? In, uh, I was a player. Uh, I was invited by my best buddy in fifth grade to come over and spend the night at his house. He, his older brother was running a game for the... Uh, uh, Game of Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, we were actually running an old classic adventure called uh, Queen of the Demon Web Pits. I'm sure lots of folks are familiar with that. Of course. Uh, not the way to start your Dungeons and Dragons or fantasy <laughs> roleplay career. Uh, I think I played a wizard, and I think I was massacred super, super early, but I was hooked. It was so much fun. Uh, I had never seen a game or a way you could spend your time where you could just use your imagination like that. It was great. Uh, so, uh, ever since then, off and on through the years, I've found some way to play uh, D&D, or then I branched into other fantasy games like Earthdom when it was popular, uh, and I have just always, it's always been my most favorite hobby. I'm interested in a lot of things. I'm interested in sports, politics, talking about economics and current events, I'm active at my church, uh, and nothing has stuck with me longer than being a role-playing gamer. I know it's not the most important thing in the world, but it is maybe, you know, just one of the most fun. When you started playing D&D, how did it sort of grow throughout your, uh, your life then? What, uh, when did you start branching into other role-playing game systems, and, uh, and how did it lead into a uh, career writing these games and stuff for you? Well, I never really had any aspirations about writing games uh, for, for just years and years and years. During 3rd edition, Wizards of the Coast had a contest for designing a setting, which resulted in the Eberron setting. I entered that contest. I didn't get chosen for anything, but the, the first idea of helping kind of shape my own world and the plots and choosing my own NPCs and all that, uh, it just really whet my appetite. And from then I kept thinking, maybe I could get a little bit more into this. Maybe I could run some more games and maybe I could meet some publishers. I had no idea I'd find myself developing games for Wolfgang Bauer, whom I vitalized as a game designer for year, uh, years. I just, you know, I played, I had fun. I went to, to Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, and lived there for about a dozen years, and there's just this great community of miniature gamers and card gamers, role-playing gamers, and I had never knew the world just opened up for me. I didn't know that you could play things besides Dungeons & Dragons up until the point that I moved in. And there were so many people who were so good at so many games that really your standards change, and the way that you play, you learn from everybody you sit down with, 
and uh, I was I was just even more hooked. So we played there. I ran a little local game store for a while, uh, and I moved back here to Tulsa to marry my high school sweetheart. Uh, you know, like I said, role playing is not the most important thing in the world, but. Uh, I moved back here, and uh, there's just a great community of gamers here in Tulsa, too. Some folks who were great in-character role players, which uh, challenges me. I, I love to do that. I love to talk in voices, and uh, I love to have really, really richly developed characters. Uh, I obsess over it a little bit, I guess. And so I've just had a ton of fun always playing this game. When I moved back here and married Tabby, she and I went to Gen Con the first couple of years we were married. We skipped the first year because of our honeymoon. But then we got into an event called Iron Dungeon Master. It was called Iron Dungeon Master at the time. It's become Iron GM since then. Mm -hmm. And Iron Dungeon Master, or Iron GM, is a pretty well-known tournament now. You've got regional qualifiers and all that, culminating in the championship in uh, at Gen Con every year. I played in that. I met Nicholas Logue. I thought, this is a guy I can get to know, and I can learn a lot from him about game design and about how to make sure I'm bringing the fun. And, of course, you know he's got a great reputation for that. And he and I became friends. And uh, after the first couple of years, ultimately, I won the Iron GM competition twice. Uh, and I always kind of prided myself on being a pretty good storyteller and dungeon master. From there, I got to know a little bit more about designing big events for Gen Con. I got to know a little bit more about designing characters for those games. And ultimately, I started entering Paizo's RPG Superstar, which is just one of the greatest ideas, I think, in the history of gaming. And uh, won that contest in 2013. And, for, and I had just been working hard ever since. I have been uh, pitching things to publishers and working on getting my developer credits so that I can help develop new designers and uh, just help set a very high standard for some of my favorite third-party publishers. For people who aren't familiar, can you describe the Iron GM competition? Uh, it is so much fun. Uh, it is, but it is utterly out of control. I mean, it is a fun, chaotic, noisy environment. Iron GM was uh, sort of a, it was created, I think, by Nick as, I don't want to say a lark, because I think he saw the potential for the organization to grow, but ultimately it was just a fun thing with a few tables and GMs were supposed to compete. Originally, when I went there, I bought a, I bought a ticket. I had no aspirations of running a table at this event. My wife and I went there, we were going to play at the same table and watch what we thought were going to be legendary GMs just get out there and compete for our attention and our approval. And not enough uh, GMs bought tickets. So I thought, well, heck yeah, I can do this. And uh, I didn't do that great because it was high pressure and I didn't have any, any sort of mental preparation or anything. Uh, and also, you know, I had a lot to learn about running tables and spontaneous gaming. Uh, the GMs get a table of five or six players, uh, gen generally six, I guess. And the GMs have zero preparation. They're going to be given three elements uh, that they have to craft their story around. Uh, so the first year I won, we had to do Rakshasa, Redemption and River Rapids. You had to fit those into your event. <laughs> and the cleverer you are with the way that you do those, the more it impresses the players, right? Mm -hmm. So you got no preparation, though. You get you get one hour to plan and run your adventure, but you don't know what the elements are before time. They announce them right there in front of everybody. Wow. And so I got those. I also did something else that was kind of fun for a while before it got to be too many. Every year that I was an Iron GM, I would also try to use all of the elements from all of the previous years. What I was thinking was, if I market myself as the guy who works harder than everybody else uh, and the guy who does more, then tables will remember that when they're sitting either at my table or at somebody else's table. They'll think, well, that's great, but this guy didn't do 21 elements like the other guy did. <laughs> and uh, so my first year, that paid off. I did nine elements. I did a dream theater reference and uh, something else. I can't remember what the other thing I did. Uh, and every year, you know, for a couple of years since then, I continued to amble. So the most that I've ever done for Iron GM is I wrote a story that had 28 previous elements. Oh, 
or 28 total elements, 25 from the previous years, and one element written on a little placard from each player at the table. And I did all of that to craft my story. It was really hard. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, it was it is so much fun. The players there expect you, they go there, they're paying $12 a ticket. They expect to see really, really good GMs get out there and compete for their attention. So I think we owe it to them to give them a good time. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, certainly, but it is a hard task. So when you get something like those three elements, uh, Rakshasa, Redemption, and River Rapids, what sort of story do you end up spinning? Like, what, what would you say is a good competitive Iron GM story with those elements? Uh, you have to, one of my strategies, in addition to using all the previous elements to make sure everybody knew I was working for them, was I try to use different takes on at least one of the elements on multiple occasions. Um, so we did, we did several redemptive stories. So what I did, and, and I think you have to take risks. You're, there is incredible competition there. The number of named game designers and cartographers and people who are great at running games uh, is fantastic there. And there's 20 or 25 tables every year. So there's nothing but high competition. That's not to say every GM there is great. Sometimes somebody just, they pay their money to vote, go buy a ticket and they think they can hold their own with everyone and they come in kind of unprepared. So you have to, you know, people who enter that contest should really understand the competition is incredible and the GMs are great. What I did is I always did something strange to take a risk too. So the year, the first year that I won, I won twice. But the first year that I won, I decided I was going to kill everybody at my table, take them straight, directly to the nine hells, uh, and then they had to work and fight their way back to get a chance to go back in time, not die in the first place, and then complete the scene that they died in by the end of the adventure. And you only have about three and a half hours to run the adventure. Wow. So what I did is I, I made a little placard, a little sheet of paper that I passed out as I killed each character. And they were each in a different scene on a different continent in a different place. And they didn't know each other at all, which is one of the requirements of the, the game. Then what I did is I killed each one in their scene. I gave them a reason that they were fighting it out. They were desperate to win whatever. Uh, they were fighting off an assassin or there was a... Uh, Blue Dragon was attacking the gates with a squadron of death giants. I mean, we made them really big dramatic scenes. And then I killed them, and I gave them a little sheet that says, Death is not the end, only a beginning, or, but only a transition, which is a quote from one of my favorite Dream Theater songs. Mm. And uh, I promise them a Dream Theater uh, reference. <laughs> the, uh, so then they all died. They all got this thing that says, You're not really dead. We'll talk about it in just a second. And then we came back, and they all had to get their souls back. To get their souls back, they had to work with this Rakshasa, who was working really hard to betray Asmodeus, the king of hell. Right. And so they had to uncover the conspiracy, and they had to kind of try to play both sides. They took an entire tour of all of the, the nine levels of hell. I mean, I had to give them the whole tour of hell because I had to work in some 20 elements, you know, of storytelling. <laughs> of course. So they had, to, they had to go to Stygia to fight frost giants because the very first year I participated, there were frost giants. They had to have a, a funeral, so they were all at their own funeral. We had to have a wedding, so we broke up the renewing of the vows of the... There's a couple, I can't remember their names now, but there's a couple that are jointly, they are lords of one of the layers of hell, and they are... I don't want to go too into detail about their relationship. <laughs> but uh, anyway, they were renewing their vows in sort of a mockery of marriage. And so that I had to have all of those elements. We ran them through all of it. And I guess the number one piece of advice I'd have to say about spontaneous gaming is take some risks and, and make sure that you pay them off well. Wow. And that will, I think, that will resonate with players who I think will have a good time. You should publish that as a module. That sounds awesome. I would, uh, I would go to the, I would play that game. Absolutely. Oh uh, well, I, you know, uh, maybe at some point, I think the guys at Iron GM who run it now, they might well do some publishing for the adventures. But I couldn't speak for them. I, I know they've, they've talked about it. 
but they, I mean, there are so many good people there that you could have the first, second, and third place every year publish adventures, and they can make decent money, and people would have a lot of fun <laughs> just playing the adventures of these fantastic GMs. Well, talk to me a little bit. You, you obviously, you're a decorated winner. Let's talk a little bit about RPG Superstar. Uh, sure. Tell people out there who aren't familiar how that works, because I think that's another thing that people who are looking to get involved in the industry should definitely check out this uh, contest, you know, and, and, and enter. Anyone who wants to understand game design, whether it's to be a freelance designer, whether it's to start your own game company or design your own game, or whether it's just to understand the game and its balance and its mechanics so that you can be a better player or GM, everyone should go to Paizo.com, look up RP, the RPG Superstar threads uh, there on the message boards, and read every part from every year. I, I tell people that all the time. And the reason is, is because you've got fantastic noted publishers and game designers like uh, Sean K. Reynolds or Wolfgang Bauer or Clark Peterson, uh, uh, Eric Mona. You know, last year the whole event was hosted by Owen Stevens, who I jokingly refer to as my reluctant mentor. Uh, <laughs> and those guys are giving their wisdom and critiquing your, your entries. What you do in RPG Superstar is to get into the first round, you have to be one of the top 32 of somewhere between 700 and 1,200 uh, entries for the first round. And when you get chosen to be in the top 32, then the gates open up and you have to design, you usually get about three days to design whatever their next round is, and there's some kind of twist, and you're not going to exactly know what all the rules are until they, they release them. And then you've got three days to design and turn in your, your, your element. Maybe you have to design a monster, or you have to design a creature's lair. Or uh, in the early days, one of my favorite rounds was design a villain. This year, you had to design a compelling location map, which terrified me. So I was glad I was judging that contest instead of participating. What happens is then, after you make the top 32, every round, the public critiques what they like and don't like about your entry, and they vote. So you, you have to have some thick skin, uh, and you have to be willing to learn, which I think is the most important thing a new designer can do. You have to be willing to learn. You may not like a certain game system or a certain person. You may have... Uh, some beliefs about what gaming ought to be or what the right way to play is, and you got to put all of that on the shelf, and you got to learn from people who do something better than you, because there's always somebody who can do something better than you. And, but, but that's how the contest works, all the way, and they whittle it down from 32 to 16 to 8 to 4 to 2, or 8 to 4, and in the final round, there are four designers who have to pitch an adventure, uh, which my, the year that I won, they increased the adventure to the 64-page format. Uh, so you had you had to do a pretty big adventure with some extra design elements, extra monsters, extra magic items that weren't part of the contest, uh, and a fantastic location that helps complement the adventure and build the world of Valerian. And to do that, uh, you've got to uh, compete against three other people who've been through the same gauntlet that you have and the public votes. And in 2013, I won with the adventure, uh, which I called the Golden Watch, but became uh, Tears of Bitter Manor. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was an adventure about a seasoned retired group of adventurers who hire you to because they're kind of infirm and they're not really able to go do the adventure anymore. You don't want the uh, NPCs to be the stars of the show. So for the most part, what they do is they hire you and then they run off after their friend that you're supposed to go looking for and now you have to go rescue everybody. And so really the PCs are the stars of the show. But that's that, that was the adventure. And then once you do that, uh, it opens a lot of doors. Your, your work gets put out in front of Lots of publishers, lots of other designers, and of course the general consuming public. And you had better, I think, either show some good taste or some humility and some willingness to learn or combinations of those, uh, or you're not going to make it in that contest. Uh, I And I, when I said this before, I'm not I'm not kissing up to Paizo. Paizo is my favorite publishing company, but I just think if you think about the contest and the way it works for as a global talent search, brings a community together in a healthy and positive way, 
uh, and then also develops new talent for design for both third-party publishers and for Paizo themselves. I mean, it is the best idea, I think, that gaming has had in the last 20. Uh, it's just amazing. Since that time, you have uh, worked on a lot of different material. Um, and do you have any favorite things that you've worked on so far that you'd like to call out? My favorite thing that I've done for Paizo is a part of an adventure called, uh, well, mine is called Black Coral Cove. Mm. Um, the adventure is called uh, Plunder and Peril by Paizo. And what it is, is it is a third to seventh level, if I remember, third to sixth level adventure. Uh, it could replace the very ship-to-ship -ship heavy combat uh, adventure in Skulls and Shackles, or you could just run it as its own story. What they did is they came to us with a very short deadline, and then they said, we're going to have these authors work on their own separate parts of the adventure or parts of the overall thing. So what they did is they gave me sort of the capstone, sort of the climactic part of the adventure, and then they did the beginning adventure went to another designer, the middle part went to another designer, and the development of the kind of the cast and crew and the location area went to uh, a fourth designer. And they and we only had, I, I want to say, four weeks to do the whole thing. Was, I think my section was ten or 11,000 words. We only had about four weeks. And uh, we had to collaborate. We had a big meeting. The meeting was awesome. I think it was 2 o'clock in the morning because one of our designers was from Australia. We had to hammer out the rest of the plot, all the things that would make a transition smooth from one adventure to the other. And I am so proud of Black Hole Code because I, 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 they asked me to make it creepy. And I thought I hopefully I delivered on that pretty well. Uh, it is a great uh, suddenly dark and spooky ending to what some people might think of as, oh, well, it's a pirate adventure. Well, it's a pirate adventure until you get about halfway through it and you realize that that you're being set up more than the average pirates, and then at the end, something horrible is going on, and you, you need to go stop it. It's my kind of adventure right there. Love the creepiness. Um, yeah. And you love pirates. I mean, who doesn't love uh, Every, uh, taking a trope and twisting it around to make it something completely Every Everyone loves pirates. One of the things that I really like, I mean, my, in my taste, there are things that I like more than others. Uh, you know, I really love evil outsiders. I really love heroic adventures. I really love high-level mythic play. But I, I, like, I usually get a pretty good feel or a, a love for every kind of style or location of play. So if you want swashbuckling pirates, you know, I can be a fan of that. I can help design it. I really I want to play it. You know, I can have a passion for it. If you want, you know, low magic or, or sword and planet sort of play, you know, with lots of barbarians and alien races and that sort of thing, we'll talk about that in a second. You know, I'm a fan of that, too. I just I love I just love gaming. I love using my imagination. And I love the worlds that really good uh uh, designers and, and setting builders have already kind of built or, or the standards that they've raised for those of us who want to build settings, you know, uh, they've done great work. And so uh, any these days, if you're a good, talented designer developer, you're standing on the shoulders of geniuses and you have to give them credit and learn from them. And let's talk a little bit about your company, The Four Horsemen. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about how that got started and uh, the work that you're doing there. Oh, well, speaking of geniuses, uh, my, my true genius is being able to surround myself by good people. Okay. Uh, you can read you, re, you read anywhere in you know business magazines or books by successful businessmen, and they'll say the people you surround you with and your willingness to learn are what make you a success. And I I just want to emulate that. So to that end, when I won RPG Superstar, I knew that it is easier and seems less self-serving to try to build and promote a brand than it does to build and promote yourself. So instead of trying to promote Stephen T. Held, you know, designer. Buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. I wanted to promote a cool-sounding brand uh, of good designers who are also really good friends. So that way, we can keep our focus on having fun. Uh, we can communicate really well, and we can. And I, one of the things I wanted to do is, if you're going to start a brand, 
you have to have a presence. You have to you have to enter with style. So it had to be a people a group of people committed to making lots and lots of work in our first couple of years, so we can essentially flood the market with our name, so people knew who we were. I recruited my good friends Stephen Rowe and Dan Dillon. Steve and Dan were gamers, miniature gamers, card gamers, war gamers, uh, and role playing gamers, and they were extraordinary at every aspect of gaming. We became good friends back when I lived in Terre Haute. We kept in touch. Uh, when I was running big uh, events with uh, publishers or with my own group of guys uh, at Gen Con, Stephen, uh, Stephen Rowe referred to himself as my minion. That was pretty funny. Uh, he's, he's not a minion now, that's for sure. So those two guys uh, are fantastic. I mean, he's, Stephen Rowe has a tremendous work ethic. He's great, at organizing, he's great at scheduling his time. He's a great time manager. He has a fantastic uh, uh, head for the math and design of game balance. Uh, which has come in very useful uh, uh, to us when we talk about the Talent to Be series. Uh, and then he is also just a fantastic in-character role player with a great sense of humor and fantastic humility. I mean, he is, he is I mean, if you're going to put together a team of people, why not surround yourself with people who are the whole package? And Stephen Rowe is definitely that. Uh, so Rowe uh, won Iron GM the year before last, the only time, the first time he ever tried. He just walked in and he won the whole thing and uh, left a whole bunch of people wondering who the uh, redhead guy was. Uh, and, and uh, I mean, if you don't know by now, you'll know that he is one of the, uh, he is the workhorse of the, the Four Horsemen of our organization. He's, he's completely a juggernaut. He has uh, products where we don't have deadlines and are a ways down the road from releasing them. And he, you know, had a little extra time to spend at work. And then the next thing Dan and I know, he's dropped 40,000 words. Oh That's God. just how he is. That's just how he does it. And it, it, he doesn't... <laughs> He drops 40,000 quality words. He's a first-time, right-time kind of guy. Uh, Dan Dillon's the same thing. He's a fantastic campaign GM behind the screen. I don't know very many people that I think are better, who are more entertaining, who have a better idea about game balance. He has great taste and style. He's familiar with lots and lots of systems. He, uh, I probably have the most old-school cred when it comes to gaming since I played the first edition of the game, and I'm significantly older than the other two. But he has great uh, kind of grognard style. Uh, and so uh, he's amazing. Oh, uh, sorry. Stephen Rowe is pestilence, and Dan is death, and I'm fan. Of course, uh, he has great taste and style, and Dan has super high standards, and he holds us to those. So uh, it doesn't go out, doesn't go to a publisher unless it gets all three of our seals of approval, and Dan's an integral part of that. Uh, we do not have a fourth horseman at this time. Uh, we are looking for a fourth one. We definitely have enough work, but it's gonna. We're gonna be very, very deliberate and choosy about that process. We have. So much talent on our on our group of three right now, uh, you know, mostly to the credit of the other two, that yeah. we're going to have to have someone who brings something very special or different to the table for our fourth. Uh, but we're open to that, and we're like I said, we're working and building the brand. So I, I look forward to finding and meeting that person very quickly. We have our eyes on a couple of designers that have really made an impression on us. So. Well, and it sounds like you know you have a great balance already with the three of you, which is really um, excellent. You know, and and to work with great designers like that is amazing. It sounds like you also get to play with these guys every now and then. What are you playing right now, uh, and what is your game like? Uh, you know, right now the only thing that I get any time to play is a play-by-post run by a friend of mine named Isaac Dupelchin. Uh Bless his heart, praise God for him. He is a detective, a homicide detective in, in Houston. And uh, he is also a good time manager, so he runs an outstanding game. The players and the quality of role-playing and writing in that game is fantastic. I got into a play-by-post game because I thought it would make me a better writer, uh, and hopefully that has worked. And, uh, but they're amazing, and I, I love being with them. I uh, have played, most recently, Pathfinder, of course. It's my favorite role-playing game of all time. 
uh, and we played some Deadlands, which is a fantastic setting. I love the old school original Pinnacle system. Uh, we played that, and uh, uh, but my at least for now, my time constraints between the full-time regular insurance gig, you know, being an insurance trainer and manager, and then helping manage the four horsemen, those are two full-time jobs. So I don't get to play much. I'm, I'm hoping to add to that. Uh, other games that I'm interested in, though, uh, we would love to do some design or do some playing with uh, the Onyx Path Publishing uh, rules or with Shadowrun. Uh, we're really big fans of those games. What do you have? Uh, what do you have coming down the pike right now? I know you're working on a lot of exciting things. One of our, uh, as I said before, one of our goals when we first started, I mean, as sort of de facto business manager, you know, I, I, I set on the purpose of getting us lots and lots and lots of work. We don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be stupid about it. We want to get work that we can do and finish on time, and hopefully we have a pretty good reputation for that. But then sometimes you get a project that a publisher is excited about your pitch, but doesn't know where it's going to fit into a schedule, and so you get a little bit of time to, you know, kind of do other projects while you pull that one together. Uh, and we've got uh, our biggest project to date coming out later this year uh, is called The Talented Beastier. Uh For those familiar with Rogue Genius Games, uh, we've already done one great book for them that I just love. I'm very proud of it. It's called The Construct Companion. Uh, if it is related to the construct type, whether you're a player or a GM or whether you want to play a construct or you want to have constructs or you want to be a summoner with a construct title on, it doesn't matter. Whatever the rules are, if you just want to trap an enemy themselves, whatever you want, that book has answers for you. It's pretty awesome. Um, we wrote that for Rogue Genius Games, and because of our, our, our success with that book, uh, Owen asked us if we would do uh, a book in the uh, Genius Guideline. And so that the, the idea is that we get the Rogue Genius Guide to Gruesome. Uh, we did Giants first, and then we did Dragons. Both of those have five-star reviews, and we liked them a lot. Then he asked us to do a book called The Talented Bestiary. Oh, Rogue Genius' the Talented line takes all the assumptions of a class, like the Talented Ranger and the Talented Barbarian, breaks it down, takes apart all of its mechanics and all of its abilities, and all of its takes the whole class apart, and then gives you a series of options that you can get by level. Uh, and so you can sort of customize and create your own class. It's sort of like being able to build your own archetype, only you get to make decisions as you level. So your campaign lets you tailor also some of your choices, which is cool. He, he was asked about that for the Talented Bestiary. Can you do something that lets us break apart all the assumptions about monsters, and that way we can design encounters or creatures according to what we need out of them, and we don't have to take like the dragon that's offers, we can build our own dragon. You know, obviously that takes a lot of math and it takes a, a very special system to do kind of quickly and intuitively. And so here's what we did is we had other design responsibilities and Steve Rowe took a month off from those. He didn't do any writing. He just broke down the math of monster design uh, from the Pathfinder Beast Theory and from the third edition of 3.5 books. And then he produced a system whereby you can create any creature you want, anything that you can think of. It doesn't have to be limited by the constraints of, you know, uh, a djinn or a ghost or a dragon uh, or any of that. It doesn't have to be dependent on creature type. It can be literally the thing that you want to make that's in your imagination. And you can take that, you can build that bad boy, uh, slap the correct CR on him, the chart figures out some of the numbers for you. Uh, he still plays by all the rules, so he still has feats and skill points and all that. And once you do it a few times, it becomes pretty fast. Uh, and so what we're doing is we're releasing that system along with most of the creatures from the Pathfinder Beast series rebuilt using that system and then kind of reimagined with something cool. Uh, like nightmares. There's one nightmare for each of the four horsemen. So there's a death, a pestilence, a famine, and a war nightmare. Uh, and they have cool special abilities or breath weapons or auras or whatever to help make that happen. I mean, they're just... We, I, when people see that book, it is 
hopefully I think it will be one of the most amazing and game-changing games in third-party publishing, which I know is a big claim because we're the people who wrote it or whatever, but I'll let people <laughs> decide. I'll let people decide that for themselves. And again, I give full credit to, to Pestle because it's his system and the rest of us are just, you know, playing with it like a candy store. It sounds so helpful. It sounds so incredibly helpful. I can't imagine that that is an overblown claim you just made. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds you like know, a dream come true. You hear people on Facebook or you see messages on Facebook at the Pathfinder website or on message boards somewhere else all the time. Hey, suppose that I wanted to file the serial numbers off this. That's a famous phrase used by Sean Reynolds. He would, he'd say, well, let's say that you're a GM with a time crunch and you don't have time for a ghost who can cast spells. File the serial numbers off of a shadow demon. He has some spells and he's already incorporeal and just use the statistics for him. So there are so many GMs who are they're pressed for time. They need something that meets their specific needs. They've got a player character in their, in their game that they need a specific kind of challenge to satisfy their prestige class or the fact that they want to go kill a little norm and become king or whatever. And you know, people ask all the time, how would I make this? Well, so what we'll do is we'll deliver for you a system where you can go create that thing on your own. You don't need to go ask anybody for advice. As long as you know how to use the system, you're going to pick a CR, you're going to pick a, an archetypal role for it, uh, and then you're going to choose its abilities based on the, the, the points value of the abilities that it has, and choose, choose the most important ones first, and there you go. That is uh, really it's cool. a lot of fun. I, every publisher that I've talked to that uh, outside of Owen has said, man, I wish you guys had come to me with that. But it's, it belongs in the Talented series, and it was, it was fans of Owen's work that asked him to develop something like that. So... Uh, uh, no one's been kind of watching it as, as we make it along. The process now is just designing, you know, 200-something monsters. Uh, takes a little bit of time. We, we contracted out a few well-known designers. Uh, Victoria Yaxo from RPG Superstar 2014. She won the whole thing. She's designing some monsters for us and a few other designers. We're proud to have uh, Do you have, like, an exact ETA? Or a, no, yeah. we don't because it, that book is going to be heavily dependent on art. And... Mm -hmm. uh, if, if there's one thing I need to develop on as a potential future publisher and current developer, it's I need to understand art and uh, uh, how to make art in books happen instead of just, you know, I give art direction a lot. I tell publishers, hey, I think this would be a great picture for, for this thing I just designed. But that's the most I've ever done, and I'm sure it's much harder than that. So uh, Owen will get to uh, inherit most of those responsibilities, and then if he and I are still friends after the book comes out, we'll, we'll maybe I'll learn something. <laughs> Oh, well, it sounds like, uh, one, it sounds like you are a very fun guy to work with. You're certainly good at sharing credit, uh, but you are doing a lot of this work yourself as well. Like you said, it is a full-time job, and we also know, uh, you know, on our other podcast where we had you on the roundtable, we know that you're working with Wolfgang Bauer on the Advanced <laughs> Races Compendium, uh, and I'm sure you've got other projects in the pipeline. In fact, he mentioned another one that's coming down the pipeline mm -hmm. uh, for you guys. So, you know, uh, and that's that's only things I know about. I'm sure there's other things that you probably can't even talk about right now uh, that you're also working on. My friend Brian Berg at TPK Games uh, has uh, approached us about a project for Atlantis. He wants to create a drop-in setting for Atlantis where you could set it in any fantasy world or even kind of a science fantasy world. And and what he asked of us is us to explain the lost culture of Atlantis, what happened to them and why, and then create a backstory so that you could go adventure in Atlantis or you could go adventure, you know, to Atlantis. Maybe maybe Atlantis is already ruined. And so what we've developed is we've developed a drop-in setting where regardless of the time period, you can adventure in some part of Atlantis's history, get to know the Atlanteans, the enemy races that help break them apart, 
uh, get to know the story of hubris that sort of ruined them. Um, and uh, in fact, when Brian kickstarts that, I think one of our big stretch goals is going to be this really incredible three-part adventure. And uh, I think all three of us really outdid ourselves coming up. This That adventure is pretty much 33% across the board, the plot and design and, and all that. Um, a lot of the setting material has been done by Steve Rowe while I do developing for advanced races and Dan does fifth edition conversions. But uh, that plot belongs to all of us. And I, I'm just so impressed with it. I think time travel is very hard to do. It's kind of one of the holy grails of a great campaign uh, to make it believable and still make it kind of wondrous uh, and not, you know, not devolve into paradox where you're just sort of hand-waving changes because they're too difficult to explain. And I think we've created a system that allows us to, to do that. So Atlantis is going to be amazing. Uh, look at look for it from TPK Games. Uh, maybe nearer the end of this year. He and I don't have an exact time frame for that, but um, it'll be finished this summer and uh, hopefully before Gen Con, and then he'll be able to do it when he wants. The next thing is uh, Legendary Games at PaizoCon next week. It's kicking off Legendary Planet, which is going to be they're starting it with a couple of big events at PaizoCon, but they're going to have a Kickstarter for a multi-planet game setting. Where, which is sort of sword and planet, so kind of low science fiction uh, uh, with fantasy. Uh, fans of Spelljammer or Planescape are going to be super excited about it, I think, because it's going to call a lot of things that they loved about their settings to mind. But they're going to remove, like, uh, one thing Neil told me is, look, there's no ship-to-ship -ship combat or there's no traveling for months at a time from one planet to another because that's boring. So they're going to take all of, they're going to take the boring stuff out of what used to be Spelljammer, and they're just going to give you travel from planet to planet, all these aliens and fighting factions and magic and low technology and, uh, and uh, I think it's going to be fun. Those guys are great designers. You know, Neil Spider's a superstar champion. Uh, the guy that runs the company is Jason Eric Nelson. He is uh, one of the, the the original first four in RPG superstar uh, final finalists, uh, and they're fun guys to work with. They set a super high standard. Everybody knows about them and, and legendary names, uh, and it's going to be really exciting to work with them. Those are really, really exciting projects. You are a lucky man to be able to work on all of this stuff. We, we have worked hard, but you are correct. I, I, I'm fortunate to be in the place that I am. Um, God's blessed me with a good imagination and the ability to translate that to, to words. And then I work with only just some of the very best people, that, and that's all to their credit, not to mine. I will say this. I can promise you this. I like to whet people's appetite. If you play Atlantis, uh, if you buy Atlantis, you're going to get one of the most amazing bad guy races, just an intimidating group of guys. They're an analog for an... Uh, uh, ancient, scary race from another game system, uh, and you, they are amazing. I, I love them as bad guys, and you will either love them, or you will hate them, or both. You know, Stephen, uh, you have made your own luck, certainly. Uh, oh, thank you. In this business, by, by working super hard, and by, you know, giving credit to the right people. You are a nice guy. You make awesome stuff. You are really cool. If people want to find out more... Where should they go? What should they do? Well, we have our uh, Facebook page where people we invite to ask us questions, to talk to us anytime. Uh, on uh, the, it's, it's the Four Horsemen page on Facebook. Uh, the actual address is facebook.com slash Four Horsemen Official. We have it. We're on Twitter at uh, uh, Four Horsemen Official or Four H Official, I think. But we're trying to develop our own website where we can do things like reviews and some blog posts and that sort of stuff. And it takes. We're pretty picky, like I said. We, we bring pretty high standards to the table, so it's got to be a scary four horsemen website. You got to be thinking apocalypse when you go there in order for us to be happy. So that's a thing that's still in development. Uh, you can also find us very active on the uh, Paizo boards. Anytime that we publish something that's pub that you can buy at Paizo, whether it's a Paizo pub uh, publication or a third-party publication, 
you know, on the review page and the discussion page, we're going to be active on that, making sure that people's questions are answered. You know, if you need a little sneak peek as to what's inside something before you decide to spend your hard-earned cash, we understand that. We do that. One thing that we have done a good job of for every large product we have promised and delivered on, we give away some free content. We'll get, you know, uh, Wizard of the Coast used to do web enhancements, just little things that you know you bought the Book of Wild Darkness, and now there's a couple of little articles or things that will help enhance your use of the Book of Wild Darkness. Well, we give away free content for the larger projects that we're involved in for everybody just as a way to say thank you. Um, so I mean, if you want to play a half Lenorm template instead of just a half dragon, go buy the Genius Guide to Dragon Templates, Gruesome Dragons, and uh, let us know. We'll give you some free stuff. Wow. Well, we will link all of that information over at thetomeshow.com so people can come find you and uh, get to know more about you and the Four Horsemen and everything. Stephen, thank you so much. Oh, being... you know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You know what I did? I just, I just totally, I can't believe it. Today is the day. I know that that's... This will take a week or so to get uh, to get out there to everybody. But today is the day that tickets for Gen Con went on sale. Uh, oh, yes. Yes. And yeah. Talk about that, please. We are hosting the Four Horsemen Open. It is a team advanced tournament. It'll be two rounds this year. We'll, we plan to grow it. And uh, we have, again, pretty high standards for this tournament. We already have lots of commitments for, uh, uh, for price support. So your ticket's probably going to pay for itself, you know, just being in the first round. We uh, have celebrity designers and publishers and other gaming luminaries as your GMs, people that we know can run a good game and be super entertaining. We don't want you to go to an event at Gen Con. So, you know, it's, kind of the, it's kind of the rub sometimes, isn't it? You go to Gen Con, you spend your money on an event, you get there, and you realize, well, I mean, these guys are nice and this is an okay game, but I, 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 other people are having more fun somewhere else. We don't ever want that to be said. We want you to come to a table where we take seriously the obligation to give you just an amazing, badass time. <laughs> and uh, then advance to the finals and get some more prize support and be the Four Horsemen Open champions. And so as a result, you and four other four of your friends, or we'll put you with a table, you know, if you buy your own ticket and get there. You're going to be able to play on Thursday from 12 to 5 in the Four Horsemen Open. Uh, and you're going to have one of the Four Horsemen or another game designer or an actual publisher. You know, what would it be like? I'm not saying this is going to happen, but what would, would it be like if Brian Bird from TPK Games came and said, Hey, I'm Brian from TPK Games. Here's some free stuff from my company. Now let's roll initiative. I mean, it would just—it would be just incredible. People want to play the games written or published by the people that that provide them the games, and you really just get the best GMs, I think, and the best designers that way. So that's what we're doing. Uh, if you don't have a ticket yet, go to GenCon.com and buy a ticket. Show up uh, and and play in our tournament on Thursday. And we have a commitment. If we sell out uh, those tickets, then you know we may recruit some more staff and open up some more tables. So check into it often. We will link to that event in the show notes for this episode of the podcast as well, so people can check it out. Uh, again, it's all over at thetomeshow.com. And Stephen, thank you so much for joining me on Gamer to Gamer today. Gosh, James, thanks. It was, it was, uh, this was a lot of fun for me. Oh, good, good. Well, you are welcome back anytime, sir. Wonderful. Thanks so much. People, if you have a question or comment about the show, you can reach out to me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can go to the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world that I'm building. It's over at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Stephen for being on the show. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner and Sam Dillon. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Remember, never give up. 
Life is a game. Eventually, you gotta roll a 20.